Support for today's heat treat radio episode is provided by Quintus ebook, High Pressure Heat Treatment, Leading the Renaissance of Hot Isostatic Pressing. Get it today at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Funk, editor of Heat Treat Radio. Today, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today and industry icon Mark Glasser at World Alloys, will talk about metallurgical costs. Is the cheapest buy the cheapest option? Let's take a listen. We're going to talk today about something that Mark and I had talked about that kind of caught my attention, I thought might be of interest to our listeners, and that's this whole idea that Sometimes buying the cheapest material isn't always the best option. So that's the topic. But before we do that, Mark, I want you to tell, if you don't mind, tell our listeners and or viewers uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, what you're currently doing. Okay. Doug, I have been a metallurgist or material scientist for 40 years. Next month will be exactly 40 years since I graduated from Rensselaer Poly with a bachelor's degree in materials engineering. After 10 years of working, I went simultaneously to a job and to night school for five years, and I obtained my master of science in material science from then Polytechnic University, which is now known as the NYU School of Engineering. Gotcha. I've been working in all areas of metallurgy and material science i've worked in rolling i've worked in forging i've worked in powder metallurgy i've worked in in heat treating laboratories and i'm currently working in metallurgy of heat resistant materials and applications of these alloys in industry right right so let's jump in then, Mark. I want to talk to you a little bit about this contention that you and I you know, talked about that uh, sometimes more expensive is better. And buying the cheapest isn't always the best. Just in a nutshell, what are you trying to say on that? Well, I'll take it even one step further. Expensive is cheaper. And let me expand on that. You have a part, and it's a certain price, and you know you have a life of two years. So that's cost X. You have alloy number two. It's going to cost 60% more. It's going to have a life of eight years. So, again, you're going to pay 60% more for this part than you would for the first part of the less expensive alloy. But over the operating life of that less expensive alloy, you're going to have to replace it three times. So you're going to use four separate components. So at 60% of the cost times four, you're spending 240% more than you would spend on one component that's a little more. Right. Right. So. It's cheaper up front, but over the entire life cycle of the part, buying four more parts of the cheaper one is a lot more expensive. Right. Ultimately, that's right. So let's talk about some of those hidden hidden factors that come into play when you're analyzing the true cost of selecting those materials. Do you have any couple, maybe a couple examples? 
Anything Absolutely. That, yeah, go ahead. The most stark example that we made our first case history on was on radiant tubes. Okay. Now, for years, the alloy of choice on radiant tubes was a raw 601 thin wall, and you get about two years on it in a typical furnace. Then the casting industry came in, and because of the limitations of of the machinery, they had to go with a heavier wall that was three times as thick, and that cost 30% more, but it got four years of the life. Uh Now, there's newer technology, and they can cast it a a lot thinner, Thinner doesn't last as long. So for the raw tube, you're talking about an eighth of an inch wall thickness. The cast for the four-year version is about three-eighths of an inch. And if you go down to quarter of an inch or less, now you get maybe two to two and a half years. And if you go to the more expensive wrought alloy, again, you're talking about an eighth of an inch wall. It's 60% more than the original one, 30% more than the cast. Now you get eight years out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, again, these numbers are based just on the cost of the material. But you've got to dig a little deeper because you're not capturing the true savings of using the more expensive material. Because think of this, if you've been in a heat treating shop and you had, and you know your carburizing furnaces, you have to turn it off, cool it down, let it air out because you have a carbonaceous gas in there and any residual carbon monoxide, if you go in there, you're going to asphyxiate. Yeah. Right. So the bottom line is a turnaround can take up to a week. Each time you have to go down for a week. What everybody doesn't even think about, how much revenue in sales and or in profits are you losing from that week down? And if, you, if, you're, if you're going from cast to the better wrought alloy, you're talking about one week. If you're still going with the original, less alloyed, thinner, raw tube, that's three times. Right, Those right. savings can can be much larger depending on the facility than just the material cost. It's just a, a few thousand dollars. Right, right. And I don't I don't know how to evaluate how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars lost production would be. But each shop has to consider that, and they they know the numbers. Those are proprietary numbers. With muffles, it's the same kind of analysis because you have the same alloys, Mm -hmm. except muffles are not typically cast. Right. But let me give you an example. A lot of muffles operate at 2125, and again, you use a 601 muffle. They're going to stay perfectly straight and flat at that time for about six months. Okay. At that point, the typical shop 
will start seeing a little bit of roof sag, and it'll sag more and more and more. But there's plenty of plenty of room, so you can get a lot of sag before it starts interfering with the parts being conveyed. Right. So my general rule from the shops that I've seen is that it can sag for about three times as long as it stays straight before the sagging is too great and has to be removed. So typically it's about two years. And with the better alloy, again, the case that I've seen was two years without any sagging, and that was a higher temperature. Right. Now, now I'm talking predicted metal temperature based off of the process temperature, which could be more or less because it's estimated. Sure. But I know that the one that we looked at was at least 2200 on the metal temperature. And this was one of the really crazy ones because it was replacing a cast material, a much higher quality cast material. And the cast material was dead straight for a year and a half. It would start to just creep a little. But if you're familiar with casting, there's not a lot of ductility in casting. But it starts creeping, if it's maybe 3 or 4%. You don't have to worry about more creep. It ruptures. Yeah, yeah. And then the gas starts escaping. That's no good. So they take it down. So in this case, when you switch from a cast, the the best rot material was actually cheaper, and it lasted longer, and the particular customer would just change them every two years because they were still in a cost savings mode. Yeah. yeah. But based on my experience, I predicted that they should be able to get at least six years on it, but they're not willing to take that chance. Right, right. Well, they got to walk before they run, I think, huh? So, so you're talking about the examples you gave were the radiant tube, the muffles. I assume the same thing would be true, though, in uh, in retorts. Could be for absolutely. Could be for for baskets, for even fixture fixturing systems, things of that sort. So, would would apply across the board. Yeah, Abs- absolutely. I I bring those two up because I have more good case histories. Yeah, I assume the same would be true, somewhat true for like fans and things of that sort, if necessary. Although you wouldn't be worrying so so much about sagging and stuff like that. But I uh, any anything basically, I assume metal you'd be looking. For that's cor- that's correct. When we return, Mark will share how to identify the life cycle of these materials in order to buy better for the long haul. Now, are you part of a forward-thinking team? Are you looking for resources to help you understand cutting-edge technologies in heat treat? If so, you have to check out the free ebook, High Pressure Heat Treatment, Leading the Renaissance of Hot Isostatic Pressing. This short resource with a long name is provided by Heat Treat Today through a partnership with the great people over at Quintus Technologies. In high-pressure heat treatment leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing, you'll learn critical, basic knowledge about high-pressure heat treating, as well as where the technology is going. Download high-pressure heat treatment leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing to find out more. Again, your copy to freely download is at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. Now, let's return to Mark and Doug. 
so how about measuring the life cycle of materials components? Any any tips or tricks you've got for people on how exactly to do that and and, and to get an accurate estimate of well, true life What we've cycle? done, we've, we've actually gone to good customers who understand the concept. And we, we, we work with them on developing case history. They log in when they put it in. They log in when they take it out. They have good records, number one. We worked with others who wanted it to work, but they didn't do so good of a job tracking it. In, in one case, it was a, a much larger furnace where they had many radiant tubes and they were just yeah. working with a few of them. And, Personnel changed. Mm-hmm. One person didn't let the next person know about the trial, and the identity got lost. So we, we spent a lot of time for nothing. But what we learned on that one is something real simple. You, you take a, a welder, and you weld the alloy name somewhere on the tube. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And that's not going to wear. Assuming you you choose the right consumable, that weld is not going to go away. Right, right, right. How about the? Uh, let's move on, Marcus. I was just thinking you did already gave a couple examples, but let me ask you this: How about a few concrete examples of where a more expensive material produced an overall more cost-effective part? I mean, you already kind of gave us those back in the with the radiant tube, but any any others that you've got along that line? The radiant tube is is a great example. Mm-hmm. Muffles, retorts. I'm trying to think of some other good ones. I, I think if we looked at it, again, we've been trying to work with some people on larger heat-treating trays. Okay, right. But, again, they're, the cast people have done a pretty good job. So we're trying to find a few people willing to go out on a limb and try something better. And here the concept is the idea of something lighter. Right. So that we don't look as much about the cost of the component but you look at if you have a lighter fixture a lighter tray your furnace has a, a capacity a weight capacity right if you cut your weight 20 30 percent you can put more parts on it so now more of your furnace btus are going to heat treat parts instead right. of fixturing yep. and when you're putting btus into parts you're talking more profit per part. Yeah, exactly. You're not spending as much time heating up the, basically just using a, a basket as a heat sink or something like that. That's- exactly. And that's a concept that I introduced at one of the conferences about a year and a half ago. And, and these things take time to percolate right, right. before they're accepted by people. Yeah. So speaking of acceptance, let me, let me ask you this question. Are this these concepts that we've been talking about, the idea that sometimes sometimes less expensive is not better, right? Is it widely accepted, do you think? I mean, do you think people understand it, generally speaking, or is it? Some people do. Not as much as I'd like to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, the other obstacle you're looking at is when you're looking at four years versus eight years, 
and you look at some of the larger companies, you may have personnel turnover, and one person doesn't want his, shall we say, replacement to get all the credit. Uh huh. So these are the, so you have to, you have to, and these are things that was learned the hard way. Right. So you have to get the right people to try it. A family owned business is the perfect place. Yeah. I can give you another real good example on heat treating baskets where, where it made a difference. And I'm going to give the name because I have done papers with him at a conference on this subject, so I don't think it's taboo. I worked with solar atmospheres on a basket for a extremely high temperature heat treating process that approached that was slightly under 2,300 degrees. We can say that because that's in the case history. Gotcha. And the first baskets that he used were your traditional Inconel 600, 601, and they they were supporting heavy parts. And after five cycles, they had to cut all the sides off, hand straighten them, each of the sides, weld it back together. That's timely. Yeah. So he went to another alloy, a better alloy, a competitor's alloy, HR120. Got 10 cycles on it. Very happy. Sure. Then one of the people at their headquarters heard me give a talk on this new alloy that we had, our 602CA, which we trademark as RA602CA. And he got excited. He, he started asking me questions after the presentation. And we eventually got kicked out of the room because it went well beyond the break. <laughs> so we continued out in the hall as we walked to our company's booth. And we talked. It took about 10, 12 months before they were ready to try it. We, we worked with their fabricator to get the material they were up to 45 cycles Wow! Uh, where they straightened it. And there's a catch, though, to that. What's that? At 45 cycles, they probably could have continued. But during the pandemic in 2020, when things were slow, they made it a smart business decision that this would be a great time to do the straightening. Yeah. And I can't fault them, but I, it would have been nice to know just how many more. But at at forty five versus ten, it is probably a similar cost right. at the time of manufacture. Yeah, that's a no brainer. Yeah, you got a four x. You got a four x payback on that one. Very very good. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Well, this is this is good stuff. So so we've covered some of those basics. Are there? And we understand it's not necessarily widely accepted, so people, you know, should should pay attention to some of these things that you said. Are there any other economic factors that you think people aren't necessarily taking into consideration when they're doing material selection besides the stuff we talked about? Initial cost, life cycle, cost of replacement, um, you know, th- those types of things. Anything else that that they ought to be thinking about. As I I mentioned in one of the cases, when there's significant downtime to replace a part, you've got to consider how much money 
you're not bringing in because you're down for a week or however long it is. Right. And that's often overlooked as well. Right, right, right. To me, that's cost of replacement because that's not just a, not just the hard replacement costs, but the, the downtime replacement, right? How it's much just, revenue is It's a little lost. less obvious, though. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, that's good. All right, well, that's good, Mark. Those are some good, some good thoughts. Uh, when people go to do uh, material selection, keep, you know, keep some of these things in mind. It's not just a matter of what the uh, buyer, the purchaser guy sees coming across this desk uh, and comparing those two costs. Let's talk about the material properties and longevity of the product and things of that sort. So that's good. So I know that you working for uh, being with Rolled Alloys, you guys help customers, uh, I, I imagine, pretty much continually on things like this. So if people want to get in touch with you or rolled alloys, how best to do that? There's a couple of ways. The first way is my email, M Glasser, like a drinking glass, E-R, at rolledalloys.com. You can always ask me a question. On our website, there is a, a link to ask a metallurgist the question. Right. And I believe you can also go metallurgical dash help at rolledalloys.com and that will bring you to one of the metallurgists in my department and somebody will get an answer to you. Okay, great. So let's go with at least those two that we know for sure. One's mglasser at rolledalloys.com. That's your email. And then also you can go to the website and just look for Ask a Metallurgist and, and uh, submit a question that way. So that's good. That's good. Well, very good, Mark. Thank you very much. I appreciate your expertise. We'll, uh, we'll hope, it's, hope it's helpful to the, to the heat treat world. Well, Doug, I thank you for having me as your guest, and I look forward to more conversations with you. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, Mark. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode with Mark Glasser at Rolled Alloys. Check out more technical episodes from Heat Treat Radio at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or simply at the website, www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. To learn more about today's guest, email Mark at mglasser at rolledalloys.com. That's M-G-L-A-S-S-E-R at Rolled alloys.com also you can head on over to the website www.rolledalloys.com and click the online chat tab to start a conversation with folks over there you can even send an email to me and i'll put you in touch my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com we're always interested in new heat treat radio topics send me an email with something you find interesting and we can talk about a future heat treat radio episode Or if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, let me know and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. The long-anticipated Heat Treat Show issues coming out this September with the results from our 40 Under 40 Class of 2021, articles from technical experts in the industry, and a new feature, Heat Treat Resources. Be sure that you get on our mailing list to receive the print magazine this fall. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing, for supporting this episode. Get your free ebook today at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. 
This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd, audio producer extraordinaire, created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm your host, Bethany Leon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>